How do you do? Mr. Carl Emily feels it would be a little unkind to present this picture without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Uh, well, we've warned you. Welcome to another episode of Horror Haven Podcast. I'm Sierra. I'm Dylan. I'm Steve. I'm Erica. And this week we're going to be talking about the Universal Monsters. Uh, we'll be talking about Frankenstein, the mummy, and Creature from the Black Lagoon. Alright, so before we get into talking about the movies, I think it'd be important to bring up um, what led to the creation of the monsters and why they became such a renowned thing in horror history. It all goes back to the 1920s with German Expressionism. After World War One, the Germans were like in a really dark place in society, so they started making really dark pieces of art, which led to like the early horror movies like The Gollum, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and the original Dracula, which was Nosferatu. After the Great Depression hit in 1929, America kind of fell into that same mindset to where film kind of became an escape for them. And the studios kind of turned to these horror movies because they wanted to create something much darker and scarier than real life that would give moviegoers an escape from, like, the depression and everything that was going on. So film became really popular around this time, and around, like, 65% of the population in the U.S. visited theaters weekly to go see movies. So I think that's what really made the monsters such a big thing when they came out because people were able to go and be scared and like almost forget about all the problems that were going on in the so economy. So it was an escape? Yes. And around the time, too, Hollywood was like going all out as much as they could as far as like production to, just to give like the best possible experience in order to be an escape from film. So I think that's what really made the monsters as big as they were interesting definitely uh i did not know that but it makes sense you know anytime i'm having a bad day all i gotta do is pop on a horror movie to forget about you know what's going on so it serves its purpose that's my nerd knowledge for the episode i have discovered the great ray that first brought life into the world oh and your proof tonight you shall have your proof at first, I experimented only with dead animals, and then a human heart, which I kept beating for three weeks. But now, I'm going to turn that ray on that body and endow it with life. And you really believe that you can bring life to the dead? That body is not dead. It has never lived. 
I created it. I made it with my own hands from the bodies I took from graves, from the gallows, anywhere. Go and see for yourself. Um, we're going to start with Frankenstein, which was the first of these three that were released. The first one was actually Dracula. But Frankenstein was released November 21st, 1931, and it was directed by James Whale. It starred Colin Clive as Henry Frankenstein, Mae Clark as Elizabeth, and, um, of course, Boris Karloff as the monster. The story behind Frankenstein is it's following a medical student named Henry Frankenstein. In the original book, his name was Victor, but they changed that for this movie. And he's pretty much got this idea that he's going to be able to bring people who are dead or animals from the dead back to life. And as he's going through medical school, he kind of goes a little too far off with his experiments that he was doing. And he ends up leaving school. He gets his right-hand man named Fritz, and he's going to help him build a body and bring it to life using electricity. And that's pretty much the story with Henry Frankenstein. Um, his fiance pretty much is, has not seen him, is very worried about him. His father's worried about him, and they go out to find him, and they, they see he shows them what he's been doing, what he's been working on, and the monster ends up going very bad. With the name change, Victor Frankenstein to Henry Frankenstein, the reason it was changed in the film was that they felt that Victor was too, like, hard of a name, like, he'd be too harsh, um, and they didn't want that for American viewers. That's so, so weird. Yeah, I know, right? Like, I like the name Victor better, but they did end up using the name Victor um, for Henry Frankenstein's friend. It was Victor Mortz. So the name did get reused. It actually switched because the friend's name was originally Henry in the book. So um, they just switched those names around. I think it's interesting how, what is his assistant, uh, Henry Frankenstein? Fritz? Fritz. 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 Okay, so when we think of, like, Dr. Frankenstein. You think Igor. Like, yeah, you think Igor. So I think it was so funny how his yeah. name in the movie was Fritz, even though it, it's it's been instilled in our mind for years. Well, the funny thing that... is, is Igor doesn't get introduced in the movies at all until The Son of Frankenstein, which is the third movie. So you don't see him until much later. But it, gotcha. Fritz is the character of Igor. It's the same character. They, again, just a name change, which I don't really understand. I, looking at Fritz, though, like, because a couple of years ago they did the movie Victor Frankenstein with Daniel Radcliffe and James McAvoy. Yeah. The character of Fritz, like, looking at him, like, I just got to say they did a pretty good job with casting with Daniel Radcliffe because he, he does a look like a lot Fritz, like him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some interesting things. We're talking about how they've changed the names from the book to the movie. Along with the names, they also changed some important plot points, um, such as the electricity to bring the monster to life. That was actually never part of the book. Mary Shelley never uh, went into detail about how the monster did get revived and brought back to life. That was never anything that was brought up. The criminal brain was another thing that was never brought up in the book. He wasn't a violent monster necessarily. That was something to make the movie scary. Well, adding to that, the fact that they used a criminal brain, I almost feel like that was very unimportant to the plot because the whole reason that he did what he did was because he didn't understand what he was doing. Yeah. So it wasn't that he had this, like, evil side to him. It was that he was rejected from <coughs> society and, you know... It goes to show with the little girl, too, when he's playing with the little girl. He doesn't understand that what he's doing is wrong no, by throwing No, he just ran them. out of flowers. Yeah. So, they I They kind feel of like... stick to the same, the, the same Frankenstein. Like, he's not evil. He just doesn't understand, and he's scared. Yeah. But they put a criminal brain in him, but he doesn't seem evil. Like, even when he first attacks 
um, Henry Frank, I'm going to keep calling him Victor Frankenstein, but every time he attacks Henry Frankenstein and the doctor, it was because he was afraid of fire. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, he didn't initially attack them, they, you know, they, they put a torch in his face and he was terrified. So, he doesn't come off like a criminal, it's not like he seems evil in any way, it's just, he's totally, it's like almost childish. Or caveman-like. Yeah, I'd say caveman-like with his mannerisms and everything. What I was just going to say is going back to what you're talking about with um, Igor and Fritz. There wasn't an Igor or a Fritz in the book. That was made just for the movie. So when yeah, did it, it was made. That's so weird because like, Igor became such a popular... Like an iconic popular, yeah. sidekick. Because, yeah. okay, first off, there's, you know, there's Igor in The Son of Frankenstein. That would be the first appearance of him. Then when they remade the movie, his name was Igor. And then... Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. It was Igor. There was an Igor cartoon movie that was made by DreamWorks, I think. The same people who made um, Paranorman. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, I love that one movie. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so it's good. like that one character took off, but it wasn't even in the, the most popular movie of them, you know? So that's that's interesting. We actually have the book, but it's 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 kind of a hard read reading Frankenstein it's just because of the, the time the English yeah. yeah I think the whole story behind like how it was written is cool though like oh how it was Mary, a game yeah they they made a game Mary Shelley and her two cousins of like who could write the scariest the story. scariest story and she won and she won yeah and she got it published so good for her going back to the think... criminal brain oh go ahead Stephen I was just gonna say I think like the symbolism of Frankenstein is uh, very accurate as to, like, man making monster, whereas, like, pretty much in today's society, the use of technology, it could be very beneficial, but at the same time, it can be so detrimental to Mm -hmm. society. And I feel like that was, like, the early foreshadowing of just, like, a man, you know, a man-made object turned into a monster pretty much you shouldn't like or 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 all these like crazy like experiments like that aren't really talked about i just thought it like it was a way ahead of its time for foreshadowing the shit that goes on today well even the like the book was written 100 years before the the movie came out and it's titled the modern day prometheus because you know the story Prometheus. Didn't he like steal fire from the gods to create life? Right. I think so. Man, it was a yeah, gift to give it to man, and it, it's a similar story. And I think it's an ongoing thing, and it's always going to be an ongoing thing where people with a lot of power are going to try to use that power to play god. Almost. I, I think that's a that's a great point. Going back to the criminal brain, I think that the biggest thing with why they specify a criminal brain is because I think that the way that society worked then, That's what was it was scary. easier. Yeah, like, it, it, the there wasn't as much crime. There, there, if it was, it was kept very hush-hush. There was and no media to spread it. Exactly. So you're, you're in a situation where everything is pretty much word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So the idea of a criminal brain, people are just assuming that the reason that he's doing this stuff is because of that. So, like, his acts are almost justifiable because he has a, a criminal brain or a criminal mind. And like Sarah said, in actuality, it wasn't that case. He was actually scared. I think that the, the idea of a monster, it was easier for them to look at him and be like, oh, yeah, he's a monster because he has the mind of a criminal. Or it, mm-hmm. it was just like... As opposed to him just not was, understanding. I really like the theme of the movie, too, and I feel like it's explored. I don't want to get too much into Bride of Frankenstein, because I do want to cover that later on, for sure. Um, but I feel like it's covered a lot more in Bride of Frankenstein, but the theme of, like, 
who the monster really is because you have this like very much so like physical monster but at the same time you have like a metaphorical monster with victor frankenstein because he's going as far as to playing god and create life so it kind of it, it almost probably because it's the most recent movie we watched that had that theme but it brought me back to like cannibal holocaust like what like who was the real monster like in, in the end of it and I, I yeah. agree with you on that. I, I think that the portrayal of a monster then, it was that, like, physical monster, like this spooky monster. Mm-hmm. Now people like Victor Frankenstein or Henry Frankenstein, whatever, he'd be glorified as a medical genius. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, there, what he was doing is very taboo. Mm-hmm. And just to, to the whole, the movie and medical equipment in general just creeped me the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, like the way that they did surgery back then they did it in like an auditorium so you're doing mm-hmm. these live surgeries in front of How all these cool people like though? dressed in suits and it's just like they were okay with that because the human body was so new to them mm-hmm. so a lot of people going to theaters they hadn't seen that before mm-hmm. so here he is piecing together a body grave robbing yeah like all this stuff and these people had never been exposed to that and that's shocking to them so mm-hmm. that is extremely shocking to them and i think that's what's going to make a huge difference when you see these reboots coming up oh god i don't think people are going to be as shocked. interested in them or yeah. as shocked in them because Wait, we they're do rebooting. that stuff all the time. They're all rebooting. the Universal movies are being are getting rebooted. rebooted. Oh. Well, yeah. no, it started with Dracula Untold. They're saying that Dracula Untold isn't going to be part. But of it was that. made by Universal. It was made by Universal, yeah. Which I like. I love Untold, it. yeah. But they, I think that's why though. With the reboots, they said that they're going to go with, like, a action-adventure type Opposed theme. Opposed to horror. Like, the Mummy remake that's coming out, which, in my opinion, not to hate on it too much, looks I, really I bad. I hate Tom Cruise. I hate <laughs> um, Tom Cruise. Yeah, I'm it, not it, about it's it. Very much, it's very much so, like, an action movie mm-hmm. more than it is a horror movie, which it was considered when it came out. Not to jump ahead to the Mummy, because we'll be discussing that later. But I do. I think that that's the reason why. And I feel like if there ever was an unnecessary series to reboot it is this well i I feel that that it's still very i I feel that people very much appreciate these movies to this day i feel like it's something where people still go back and watch these i don't think that they do need to be remade and i don't think that they are the type of movies that are going to be successfully remade well here's my thing too is maybe with with remakes for example the 80 slasher icons like freddie jason all them the people remaking them are people that grew up with them that's what they watched when they were a kid and they're so like in most cases they're such a big fan of it that they remake it out of their love for it Mm -hmm. and i feel like the universal monster reboots they're very well appreciated but it's one of those series where you look at it and you're almost like this is just for money solely for money yeah just adding to that though like with the slasher movies i think that a lot of the reasons they do that is because technology's changed so much that they can take that gore and they can just up it like a thousand mm-hmm. and get that shock value out of it. It's, it's it's almost disappointing for me though because I feel like like you said them them doing things like that. I feel like it's taking away from the storylines of the movies because that, that's what they're doing. They're they're taking an, an old idea and they're they're all they're doing is adding crap to it and adding CGI and adding effects and it's just like. I've watched this movie. Give me something new. You know what I mean? I'm interested in it for the fact that, you know, like The Mummy, I know we're getting into that, but, like, it's a reboot, but like Dylan said, they're doing it as an action and adventure. Yeah, but Brendan Fraser already did that in the 90s. I, I think that 
I don't know. What I think a flop it that two was. Ways. Actually, it was a it was a hit. It was a hit movie. It, it made tons at the box office. It did the really first well. One, yeah. I didn't mind it. I thought they were fun, but I was also really young when they came out and I haven't watched them since. So as a kid, yeah. I thought they were really cool. There's something about the the time period that the Universal Monsters came out. And you're just never going to be able to recreate that time period. Because, again, a lot of it had to do with the Great Depression and just, you know, what was going on with those times. And that's what gives each of the films that were released so much character and Mm -hmm. definition. And to add that into today's, like, you know, style of filmmaking, it's just going to take away so much that people have grown to love about the classic Universal monsters. Like, you know, I mean, these are the most iconic horror movies of all time like Mm -hmm. when we're kids you got to think like these are the the universal monsters are literally the poster boys for halloween Mm -hmm. well you have to think too is where they've had influence not just these movies how many cartoons have you seen frankenstein the dracula the wolfman exactly how many movies how many tv shows have had frankenstein dracula the wolfman you know it's like Mm -hmm. a constant like you know, they're they're not just universal horror. They're they've been in every Scooby Doo. They've been in every freaking every cartoon movie that you ever watched. Alvin, watch. and, the Alvin and the Chipmunks. Alvin, the monsters. Uh, yeah, the monsters. Monsters. All of it. It's just constantly Alvin and Costello. Exactly. It's like constantly bringing them back and back and back. And I think that's the super cool way of doing it. But to recreate the movies, we're not in a time period where that is going to be successful now because we cannot relate to that. No, our time, is, our generation is not going to re- relate to, to, to the generation in the 30s in that way, and they're going to modernize it, and I just feel like it's just, eh. It, to touch on that, though, I, I'm going to disagree. And the reason I'm going to disagree is because you, me, Dylan, Steven, from what I can tell, we seem like very old school people. So when yes. it comes to these, we love them because of what they are, mm-hmm. not what they could be. Exactly. But our generation, for the most part, they don't want that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why the reboots will do so well, because our generation is a newer generation, and we're out of that, like... We're in the remake 80s, generation. You know what I mean? Like, the, the 80s generation who still love them. And the thing that's that I think that we love about them, and I could be wrong, and definitely correct me if I am, they're romantic. The way that they're filmed, like they're they're a romantic horror, and they're the only ones like it. There's literally no other horror like subgenre that's like it. Mm-hmm. And even the remakes, they lose that. Mm-hmm. And, like if you look at these just as like a whole film. They're just these beautiful, well-put-together, black-and-white films, mm-hmm. but they're just, like, they're perfect. They are. They're well, I think, I think adding to that, too, is, like, the little touches that made these movies so great are going to be lost in the remakes, because look at the sets in the movie. Completely like, handmade, like, painted by hand, yeah, just the back, sets. Like, the fake skylines, mm-hmm. like the mound of dirt where they're grave robbing that you can tell is just a mound of dirt on a set somewhere. Like you appreciate it because it's so unique and it's something that you don't see. Well, that's the thing again. is that at that point they worked so hard for a minimalistic look and now it's, it's so easy to not put any work into an incredible look. So it's, it's almost like 
you're going to lose the try-hard part of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think, Stephen, that's what The passion. Picture, that's what I picture when you say, like, you get, like, such a dreamy vibe from these movies. It's because it is a very, like... It's not unre- real, yeah. It's a very unrealistic yeah. set that's built. Like, the, the sky, you can tell, is obviously fake. And they could have shot in a, fa- in a real background with a real sky behind them, but they chose to build these sets... With a fake sky. Which and, are beautiful. Yeah, and these, like, handmade, man-made giant caves and mountains. and They're literally works of art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, they're, you're watching a live piece of art. It's no different than if you were to go to the Museum of Natural History or the Museum, I'm sorry, the Museum of Modern Art mm-hmm. or the Louvre and watch those paintings lie. come to life. The Museum you know I mean? of, the modern, of Modern Art is probably the most boring museum I've ever been to. <laughs> Getting back into Frankenstein specifically, there was a lot of scenes that did give give a lot of controversy for the time and a lot of scenes actually did get cut or shortened um the scene where frankenstein is playing with the little girl and throwing flowers uh, the scene in when the movie got released ended up only being up to the point where he picks up the girl it never showed her being thrown in the river in the 90s they did end up adding that scene back in to the point where she got thrown in the river but they felt that it was too too much to show a child dying I feel like it wasn't too much to show her drowning in the river, but when the when guy walks, walks into town, town holding her dead body, cut, yeah, like he walks into town mm-hmm. holding her dead body, and I'm like, this is kind of dark, actually. Um, and yeah. there's actually several states that made them cut out the line, it's alive, it's alive, in the name of God, now I know what it feels like to be God, which is the most famous line from the movie. That was actually cut in a lot of states in the United States. Because, I didn't know that. Well, it's it because of religion. yeah, it was it was it was very much against the religion, and it's, it's you know it's a hugely Christian area, so um, at least for the time, so it, a lot of people were very offended by that line. So it was it wasn't cut in every state. Uh, I want to say it was Massachusetts, yeah, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, and New York. Wow, which I find really odd. Mm-hmm. Those three you states. You know, it's funny. Like I would have thought, like southern states. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? In the South, they probably just exactly. didn't watch it. Well, that, these are where the, the premieres were, too. So that's yeah. probably why it was cut there, because it was the the, the premiere. Which, I did some uh, researching on the New York premiere of Frankenstein, and we did find the theater that it was it had premiered at, and it's actually right now vacant and shut down. Mm, that's so that's a shame. Yeah, well, it I think really it's really sad. <laughs> really funny how, like, that line was, like kind of cut out because if you think about it now that's like one of the most famous movie lines and like anytime someone is referencing like frankenstein or like spoofing it you i can't tell you how many like different films cartoons sitcoms the whole it's alive you know like even the ninja turtles used it in one of the episodes where shredder makes the robot turtle i think what they did is i think they cut it I think they had it's alive, it's alive, but I think then from there it was cut out. They didn't they didn't go as far as in the name of God. I now now know what it's like to be God. But that guy did have a total God complex. Like he wanted to to oh, yeah, control absolutely. he wanted to control life. That was the whole thing. I got to say he doesn't learn his damn lesson. <laughs> Whoever played Henry Frankenstein was magnificent. Colin Clark. Uh, he he was the highlight of the film for oh, yeah. me. His performance was, was just great. so spot on over the top and he just like that mad doctor but at the same time you know most mad doctors in movies they just keep going and going whereas he like realized like the damage he's caused and now like he's like the only feels like it's his responsibility to stop it well i mean you know what i mean that's expanded more too in bride which again i don't want to go too much into bride but like he doesn't want to create life anymore and 
Frankenstein's monster, like, the monster approaches him and says, you need to make me a bride. And he doesn't want to Get do it. And it's <laughs> That's, like, the big conflict <laughs> of the, uh, the film. But, you know, he did do a great performance. I actually, uh, every time, like, when we watched it, I kept thinking of Jim Carrey. Like, I thought he looked a lot like Jim Carrey. He in the doesn't, face. though. He doesn't <laughs> I don't know. I, I just kept thinking Jim Carrey, and I was like, if they remade this with Jim Carrey, <laughs> I'd be pretty... <laughs> um, with this movie, the makeup artist on this movie is probably one of the most famous makeup artists in the world. It's Jack Pierce. Um, and he completely created the design for Frankenstein. Monster. Nice. Well, for the monster, yeah. Yeah, Sorry. for the monster. <laughs> Please cut that out, because ever... I've never fucked that up before. <laughs> <laughs> it's the nerves. You guys ever go to Frankenstein's uh, Monsters Wax Museum by, uh, I think I want to say it's Lake George? I've gone to it, yeah. I haven't. But we, met, we saw yeah, him yeah, at... Have you ever seen, Mom like, Tussos. the guy standing in the suit outside, like, outside of the attraction? Yes. Okay, so when I was, like five years old i guess for some reason my mom told me like and i couldn't tell you why i'm maybe i was four but uh we were visiting lake george my my parents and i and i saw the you know the guy in the frankenstein monster suit and whoever they had casted he was extremely tall so like he fit the bill really good and my mom said like i had a fear of frankenstein's monster when i was a kid and my initial reaction was like no, mommy, no Frankenstein you. And I don't know why I called Frankenstein's monster Frankenstein you, but she said for like two years you would call Frankenstein's monster Frankenstein you. I was like, yo, when the fuck did I become foreign? That's what I wanted to know. <laughs> but yeah, I had a legit fear of like that dude in the Frankenstein monster suit. It was the exact one if you guys ever watched uh, Toby Hooper's Funhouse, the creature that's under that kind of Frankenstein monster suit. It was that exact same one. But yeah, it was just I, that's such a cool attraction too. But I just thought that was really funny since we were on the subject of Frankenstein. How yeah. I always called Frankenstein's monster Frankenstein you. And do you guys remember uh, Burger King when they released like the glow in the dark? Well, I think it was like these action figures for the Universal Horror. No, does anyone no, remember, I don't that? remember that? Oh, it was like a. 90s I wasn't thing. a big Burger King kid though. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't. I'm kind of dating myself a little bit, but I was part of the Burger King's kids club. Like, the early 90s one, yeah. <laughs> my grandfather had me signed up. So, like, I would get the toys exclusively before they'd get, like, released. Wow, like, they'd come fuck out you. Later. But I remember having a glow-in-the-dark Frankenstein's monster. I had a uh, glow-in-the-dark uh, Gill Man. And I forgot what else. I, th- I want to say it was a glow-in-the-dark mummy. But it wasn't the mummy that we're going to talk about. It's the one that's later where it's kind of still in the wraps. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. But I just remember Burger Burger King releasing those line of toys. That, and they, they did it around Halloween, too. So that I always thought that was really cool. How old are you? He's younger than I'm you. Twi- I'm 24, but I, I don't know. I, I just remember I, I, shit, I just... and I don't. <laughs> he, yeah. Eric is I, almost in the 30s. I'm not making this up. I totally remember these things. I and like you. <laughs> My grandfather would purposely take me to Burger King to, like, because they were, like, with the Burger King uh, Kids Club, like, you'd get the first toy of the line. It would be a random one. You'd get it before they would release it. And then, like, the next week, they would release the toys. And when uh, my grandfather, you know, he, he he brought me up on those the Universal Monsters. So we would purposely go to fucking Burger King to find out which monsters they had in stock. That's awesome. <laughs> I, 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 I know someone out there. If, if you remember, please leave a comment, like, when we post about this episode. Because, like, I can't be the only one thinking about it because I definitely remember it. <laughs> I'm sure they're out there. 
I wish I still had the toys today, seriously. But I definitely remember. It was like I, definitely Burger King that did I'm it. I'm trying to think of what you're talking about. It sounds familiar. It does, yeah. But, like, I can't, like, put my finger on what it is. Sierra has yeah. our house decked out in Universal stuff. Like, our kitchen, we have, um... The, the diamond toys collectibles of the uh, figures, and they're, like, all above our cabinet. Dude, okay. We have, um, like, film film slides from, like, the original movies. With pictures nice. printed from them. Yeah. Um, I also have um, serving platters. Glassware. Glass, <laughs> pillows. yes. Pillows. I have Frank, I have pillows that have scenes from The Bride of Frankenstein. I have um, tin platters. I have big, huge serving platters, uh, and it has The Bride... And, we have all the um, reaction the monster. minifigures. Yeah, I have all the reaction minifigures. I have, like he said, the diamond collectible toys. Oh, the, wow. the list goes on. I am a collector of Universal. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I could remember was this Burger King. No, I did have Universal Monster Beanie Babies, I want to say, at the time, too. What? Because they did release some. Yeah, I had the Gill Man. He was like a... All right, no, he wasn't a Beanie Baby. I'm sorry. He was just a normal stuffed animal. <laughs> Definitely I would no have loved, baby tag. If you ever see a Gilman stuffed animal for like next to nothing, Steven, you gotta get it for I me. I got you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but as far as that, that's quite the collection because as far as that, I on my pomade, I have a Frankenstein <laughs> on there. It's called Monster Hold by Upper Yeah. Upper Cut, yeah. <laughs> yep, shout out to Uppercut, always keeping the hair classy. <laughs> um, you know, with Frankenstein's monster on there. No, I, I, I can't even remember. I wasn't that young when I got into these movies. I was older when I, when I finally like really sat down and got into them. I think I was actually in high school because yeah. I did Mystery and Suspense, and we watched them in Mystery and Suspense, and I immediately fell in love with them. And from that point on, like, I, I've, I've loved them since, and, the, and then that's when I started collecting. And... So, Stephen, I told Sierra and Erica this story last week, but I, I wanted to share it on here. So my first experience with the Universal Monsters, it was later on, it was in high school, and it was the same thing. I took Mystery and Suspense, and we watched yeah, we watched Frankenstein. I was like, all right, this is really good. So we had a choice later on to like watch a movie and do a review of it, and I chose Bride of Frankenstein, and I watched it at Sierra's house, and I like fell in love with it. And then... um. I, I watched the rest, like, as time went on, but my favorite experience, and it was an early experience, was when I was in college, I had to take an art class, and I took art of film, and the room that it was in was set up like a theater. Like, it had the theater chairs and a giant projector screen and a projector, and we watched the Universal Monster movies, like Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Dracula. We watched them on the big screen. I loved it. And it was oh, it was amazing. Man, it was lucky. like watching it was like watching the movies in a theater and it was the best experience to watch these movies. Now, was this before we became friends in college or No, uh, it was uh I, I used to talk to you outside of the class when I was like getting ready to go in it and shit. Fuck man, I should have skipped and just skipped right <laughs> into your class, dude. Now looking back on it, oh, that would have been good. What a way to watch that. Yeah, that's dude, and literally that's, perfect. That's how I uh, first watched Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and I like fell in love with oh, it because it was so man. it was such a good experience. Yeah. <laughs> Nerd out. That you couldn't get any better than that. Uh, yeah. anytime I try to watch these like besides for this episode, like I said, my grandfather recently like surprised me with like at least eight of the universal monster films so now like anytime i'm with him he's always wanting to watch the old school horror preferably so 
like early October, we usually banging a couple of those out just because it's like tradition. Like again, when you think Halloween, like some of the poster boys is like Dracula, Frankenstein, Mummy, Wolfman. That's actually a so, huge a huge want on my on my list of Universal, the old school um, Dracula. Frankenstein and Wolfman masks. If you guys know what I'm talking about, they're like plastic masks. Yes, yes. You can get them in boxes. Yep. I had, I used to babysit for this kid and their parents were like the coolest people in the world and they had a display case in their living room and it had the masks and I was like, do you think they'd fire That's me probably if I took them? worth so much money. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, w- I actually, you know what? Before I really got into it, I, we used to go to the Stormville Flea Market all the time and I saw... I saw the Dracula one, and it wasn't in the box. It was in really rough condition, and I, I liked it because I liked horror, but it was before I was really into them, so I passed it up, and um, I still think back to that. The one that got away. Yep. The one. Yeah, but now I have a coffin purse that has the Universal Monsters on it, so... Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, getting back to the movie. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a lot of really interesting information on this movie. Um, initially, they offered the role of the monster to Bella Lugosi, who rejected it, but there is somewhere in the world a lost film reel and it was a test starring Bella Lugosi and um, you can find pictures of Bella Lugosi in the monster makeup which is really interesting but it has not been viewed since 1931 and no one can seem to find this test reel which I thought was really cool and I love mysteries so hopefully one day we can view it. Now this was Boris Karloff's first role in a movie. He was 44 years old when he got it so he's really um an aged actor for a beginner. Um, yeah, I was going to say, we're talking about starting late. Yeah, he did. He started very late in it. And then Universal actually has the monster's makeup copyrighted until 2026, which I thought was really just a, a crazy, crazy bit wow. of information there. Yeah, they, they co- copyrighted it. Um, Boris Karloff was not credited for the role as the monster. He wasn't even I invited noticed that. to the premiere. Yeah, it was like, why? I didn't know that. No. Yeah, he wasn't invited to the premiere of his own movie. Um, but after this, he was he was credited, and he actually has a huge part in all the universe. Well, not all of them, but a, a good majority of the Universal monster movies. So, and he's gone on to play the monster in I want to say seven other movies or TV shows. No, Universal released seven other movies featuring the monster, but he has played Frankenstein in several different movies and TV shows. So there's that fun fact. Listen, he'll always be the face of Frankenstein's monster, oh, yeah, no for matter sh- what. For sure. I mean, he's so iconic. And it's funny, though, because it's like when you watch the other Universal movies he's in, you're like, wow, that's so obviously the monster. Like, that's clearly Boris Karloff. He looks the same. He stood out in the makeup. Like, he's so iconic. Not everyone can put on that. Like, if you look at Billy Lugosi's monster, like the test of, of Bella Lugosi wearing the makeup, it's really weird. It's not right. So I think it was a good choice to go with Boris Karloff. Yeah, I think it was the perfect fit. Unlike, you know, and, it, you know, you just uh, go to find out everyone's got their own fit, whereas, like, Bella Lugosi, come on, he played He's 100% Dracula. So, Dracula, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and he was even buried with the cape. And, like, Long That's Chaney awesome. Jr., yeah, Long Cheney Jr., like, I can't imagine anyone else as the Wolfman. Or Long Cheney Sr., I can't imagine anyone else as, like, fan of the opera, mm-hmm. you know? Or Dr. Jackal, Mr. Hyde. It's kind of cool how they kind of made it a family thing there. <laughs> um, yeah. Did you guys have a favorite part of the movie? Uh, yes. Uh, the shot of the castle on the dark, stormy night when they're doing the experiment. Just, it's so iconic. I love you think it. of anything spooky, like... Dark, stormy castle, boom, there's the perfect shot. Um, my favorite scene is when he walks out of the woods to the river where the little girl is. 
where he's creeping. Well, I just think it's a very sweet scene where, where she's like, you want to play? And, and she walks into the water, and they're playing, and he's smiling, and he's getting excited, and he's enjoying it. And then all of a sudden, it's like, uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> Fuck, no! Don't do it. Um, my favorite uh, my favorite scene was with the windmill at the end. I think the windmill like set piece was like beautiful. It was very well made. And uh, the fight between Frankenstein and the monster was really good. And I think the best acting from Boris Karloff is when he's on fire and he's, like, running around screaming. It was just really, like, really well done. And I, I like, throughout the movie, like, throughout the movie, you do feel bad for the monster in a sense. But, like, I feel like that part where all the townspeople are, like, getting ready to burn the windmill down and he's, like, you seriously can see how terrified he is. And I think that that was very well done. The acting was amazing on that yeah. part. I'm a Sierra. Yeah. They were really weird. It's just because it's such an iconic part of the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it just is. like... It, it, I think that scene right there is what really sets like the theme for the movie. That he exactly. Didn't, he didn't know what he was doing. With that scene, they were really worried about the actress Marilyn Harris, who plays the little girl meeting Boris Karloff in full makeup. They were really scared that she was going to be terrified of him. And uh, they were actually setting up for that scene, and they were getting ready to drive to location, and she comes out of her trailer, and there he is in full makeup. And Boris Karloff is a tall guy, and he's wearing these 13-pound shoes. Like, he's even taller, you know? He's huge. And she runs up to him, and she goes, Can I please ride with you? (laughs) And he looks at her, and he goes, Would you please, darling? And that's what he said to the little girl. And they, they, everybody... um, from everything that I read about the movie, everybody said Boris Karloff is, like, the sweetest human being in the world. He was so nice. And this little girl just adored him. So I, I just think it's very sweet. But it's unfortunate. And she didn't know how to swim either. And they really did throw her in the water. Well, Boris Karloff was shit. <laughs> Boris she was not a strong swimmer. So. Actually, uh, he had a big disagreement with James Wales, who was the director for the movie, because he wanted to set her in the water. And James Wales said, no, it's very in. important that you throw her in. And they kind of gotten like this big disagreement with it, and even the cast was on Boris Karloff's side. Like, no, maybe he should just like put her in the water. And James Wells is like, trust me, when it's done, you'll see what I mean. You have to throw her in. I don't know yeah. if they saw what he means, but <laughs> yeah, everybody said that he's just like the nicest person. He was so sweet. Um, there was like a comment made that like children were always very children, dogs, stuff like that. They always loved him. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess not me as I was a kid. <laughs> Clearly, I was fucking scared. That's because you knew the monster. You didn't know Boris. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you only knew Frankenstein you. Frankenstein you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who Frankenstein you is, but he's a terrifying Neither do guy. I, but in, in my four-year-old mind, I guess that was the same person. Like I said, I just became foreign for that very moment. Um, <laughs> the, my favorite thing that I read about this film is that when it was released, it was not considered a horror film. Because it was released, it, when it was released in 1932, horror was not yet a named genre. It wasn't considered horror until 1934, which I thought was just a cool little tidbit. <laughs> Two years later, they're like, you know what? That movie was pretty scary, so let's just go back and say, yeah, that was what we were going for. <laughs> yeah. So. Fun fact of the day, there was no horror movies until 1934. If you try and say that anything prior to 34 was a horror movie, you're wrong. Also, uh, this film... 
sets up for the iconic angry mob scene. We would have no Torches angry mob and pitchers. if it wasn't for this. Absolutely, I agree with that 100%. And every time I see it too, I'm like, Torches and pitchforks! <laughs> Shrek. And, and, yeah, Shrek. Is, there have been quite a few horror movies that have used the windmill as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, one I can think off the top of my head, Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. They had the uh, the windmill, and there's a couple other ones I just can't think of. Oh, Wasn't Evil Dead, or I'm sorry, Army of Darkness kind of had like a windmill yeah. that yes. like, resembled? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When just... when Bruce is running, like what he's like in two halves almost. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. I think. I think whether whether people like this movie or not, or any of these movies in the the universal category, I feel like no matter what style of horror you you like or watch, you're going to see little parts of these movies all throughout it, like the little in influences, you know, because this is what's what really started horror. I mean, there's there's movies before this, but this these are the first really really big ones, and they were big when they came out too. It's not like they got popular; they were. They were huge when they were premiered, so I just I just don't think there's any way of denying the greatness of these films. Absolutely, I mean they're the most iconic horror films in my opinion. Are the original Universal like it's what everyone grows to know at some point in time in their life, whether they don't realize that they know it or not. Like I'm sure there are people that have never really sat down and watched it, but you throw a picture of Frankenstein's monster or a picture of Dracula. They're going to say Frankenstein. Exactly. They might not say the monster, but they're going to say Frankenstein. Exactly. Don't worry, guys. I teach my kids, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. But we, we owe it. We owe what horror movies have come to because Universal uh, Monsters really broke that ground. Oh, yeah. oh, you know what actually blew my mind, too, about these movies? Like, I was saying that the, the premieres were huge. Frankenstein made, I want to say, $1.4 million in 1932. For the Depression era, that's huge. Nineteen. Yeah. Well, $1.4 million in general in that time period. It's not like that. that's the numbers with it, like, changed to today's money. That's how much it made. It made $1.4 million in 1932. Could you imagine how much that's worth now? So after this, do you think we should give ratings and then move on? I honestly don't know if do you guys I could think you can do? Well, I feel like they'd have to be on a totally different rating scale. I think maybe the... I mean... Why don't we do stars? Ooh. Can we do stars for this do movie? Do one through five. Stars. Ooh. And be like, it's a different rating scale. We can just rate okay. other movies on the stars rating. Um, who wants to go first with their final thoughts and ratings? I will. Okay. Be good. All right. So, overall, um, what a, a classic, iconic movie. Uh, I'd have to say it is not my favorite Universal Monster movie, but, you know, there's just so many iconic things to take out of this, whether it be the shot of the dark, stormy castle, which I think kind of sets the tone for a lot of early uh, horror films. The angry mob, the classic It's Alive line. Like, everyone, you know, you gotta love that line. The actor who played as Henry Frankenstein was just phenomenal as well. So I'd have to say my overall rating. Now, if I were to do this out of a point system, like 1 out of 10, are we going to do that? 1 out of 10, or are we doing stars? It's up to you guys. I think, you know what, for the Universal Monsters, they deserve something a little special. So out of five stars, I'm giving this a uh, solid four stars. Woo! Rate four and then draw a star. Pentagrams. 
<laughs> Who's next? I'll go next. Erica, begin. So, my final thoughts on Frankenstein. I haven't seen it in a while, so for watching it again in probably, if I had to guess, about 15 years, <laughs> I have a better appreciation for it. I think that seeing it when I was younger, it was boring because it's not what I had an idea horror movies should be. So seeing it today and watching it, and I watched it with my husband, so it, we got a lot of feedback on all of them. <laughs> and it's beautiful. I mean, it's a work of art. It really is. I, everything about it was well thought out. I mean, there's so many little things about it that make it such a wonderful movie. And like Stephen was saying, it's it's a classic. I mean, even if you haven't seen it, you know who Frankenstein is. Mm -hmm. uh, if uh, The thing that I think that catches me off guard the most is how many people don't know it was a book. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. they just think that it was a universal movie. So I, I think I'm going to give it I'm going to give it a four and a half. Ooh. It was, it really set the stage, and so many movies have used different themes from it, or styles from it, and you can definitely... Or sets from it. Or sets from it. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see where it set the stage for for future horror films, and I think a four and a half does it justice. I agree. Cool. Good rating. All right, I'll go next. I I think the theme for the movie is very great. I think that the changes that they made from the book are, I don't want to say better or worse, but they work. Um, the sets, like I said, are probably my favorite part of the movie overall. Um, the, the windmill scene was just so beautifully done. And it, it's just so, like, you get caught up in the atmosphere of the movie as you're watching it. So I think I would give the movie... I'd agree with you, Steven. I'd give it, like, a four stars. Um, it's not my favorite Universal Monster movie, but I I would say anybody even remotely in love with horror or even film in general, this is absolutely a must-watch movie. All right. Sierra's about to get passionate. Let that passion flow. There I was. Put the passion in the <laughs> eight-year-old girl. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Seeing right. a young Frankenstein, you. <laughs> <laughs> Frankenstein is such an influential movie in general, and not just to me, to, to horror as a genre. Everything from the makeup that Jack Pierce did to the directing from James Wales to the acting of Boris Karloff and Colin Clive, it's beautiful, it's amazing. The handmade sets, the work that went into this movie, the love and passion that you can watch on screen is beautiful. And the reality of it is, is that at the time, this was, this was terrifying. I don't think anybody even died in this movie. It was the all... The little girl. The little girl <laughs> is the only character that died. Did the, did the one doctor die? Oh, that was, uh, uh, I want to say, Henry Frankenstein's assistant. He might have. When, remember nope. when he's trying to d destroy Frankenstein's monster and then he like kind of gets up and chokes him? Yeah, he might have died. But there wasn't, like, you, like, this movie doesn't revolve around death. Like, no, really, not at all. The, the, the horror aspect to it is, is the reanimation of life. The evilness that, that they put into to this creature, this monster. I, 
I just can't go on enough about these movies and, and, and the way it was filmed. The cinematography is beautiful and, and the contrast of, of black and white is just gorgeous. And it's just, it's easy to watch where a lot of black and white movies tend to be very difficult to watch and boring or, you know, this movie is so easy to sit down and watch and, and be interested and, and like want to know what's going on with the storyline. It's just, I can't go on enough about these movies and not just Frankenstein, the universal um, genre or series series in general. The, all of the movies have so, so much love and passion in them. It's just beautiful. I'm giving this movie a 4.9. Out of five. Couldn't give it that one point. Well, the only <laughs> you reason... Couldn't give it that five stars. The only reason it doesn't get that one point is because I have two movies that are universal that I like more. Gotcha. And it's And so that one point is those two movies. And those two All movies right. got five, so... <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so average is 4.35 stars. So pretty much a four-star rating on average for Horror Haven rating. Death, eternal punishment for anyone who opens this casket. The mummy, is it dead or alive? Human or inhuman? You'll know, you'll see. You'll feel the awful, creeping, crawling terror that stands your hair on end and brings a scream to your lips. <laughs> There's nothing on earth like the mummy. The next film we are going to talk about was released almost exactly a year later, and it's The Mummy. It was released on December 22nd, 1932, and it starred Boris Karloff, Zita Johan, uh, David Manners, Edward Van Sloan, and Arthur Bryan. And Byron. Arthur Byron? R- Byron. I said it right. I thought you said Bryan. I'm no. zoning out. Okay. Bryan. No, <laughs> I didn't. So The Mummy focuses on an archaeological dig in Cairo where they uncover a Two. sarcophagus. So basically the main... When I'm doing horrible the... at this. Okay. So it's an archaeological dig where they dig up a sarcophagus. With the sarcophagus, they find a sealed chest. And there's a curse written out in, I'm assuming, hieroglyphics. It doesn't really show an an up-close of it, but um, it's written out. And one of the doctors that did the dig said that it's a curse. If you open this, bad shit's going to happen. They open it. Because why wouldn't they? Because, you know, (laughs) fuck that. They open it because they're like, this could be the scroll of Ra. I believe is what it was. And, um, like, that's a huge find. So they open it, and guess what was in it? The Scroll of Ra. And uh, the it caused the mummy to come back to life, which is Boris Karloff. And he wanted to use the scroll to reanimate his dead girlfriend. Girl. I paid more attention than I thought I did. <laughs> he, did good. he sees the girl who he believes is a reincarnation of oh his, my God. his lover from She's so life. pretty. And... I like the 1930s looks. I don't. I, I love the 30s. So I'm. I didn't like her in her normal wear. I liked when she looked Egyptian. Like she yes. had like the. Okay, like, I agree. Okay. Yeah. So he pretty much like tries to reawaken the princess. The princess who he was in love with years ago, and he was buried alive because of 
Was it their love? Or... No, no. He was buried alive no, because what, he, he was stole performing the scroll. And he was yeah. considered sacrilegious. Because she died, against right? The gods. Didn't she die? And he was trying to bring her back. And they. Yep. So he he reawakens the princess in her, and he's gonna sacrifice her so that they can be together. They can have death. eternal life. Yeah, have eternal life, and they she is pretty much struggling inside between her. She, what she says is she says, I feel that I am myself, but I also have the feelings of this woman in me. Yeah, it took three people, but we got it. Um, I think this movie was really cool. I, I think, um, like Eric had mentioned with Frankenstein, I think it's very similar. It has a very romantic feel to it. And, like, this is m- much more literal. Yeah. Because there is romance. The whole movie is based on this eternal love that he has for this woman. And in that aspect, it's very beautiful. But he's very evil at the same time. He's, he's almost blinded by it. The mummy. The mummy's almost blinded by it. Really? You could have fooled me with the main... Uh, the other guy who was in love with... Uh, what's her name also? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every time he was on the screen, it was just like another way to get them to alone like i was like bro relax yeah. <laughs> he was climbing on a little head it's bad when the mummy's got more game though yeah right <laughs> like he was just a little he was a little too like forced on with his mm-hmm. romance and it was kind of killing my vibe a bit whereas like boris karloff was way more classier and smooth about it yeah um i i think that boris karloff did really great in this movie i mean i don't think he, it's anywhere near iconic as his role as the monster in frankenstein but I, I think it's underrated, personally. I know that you and Dylan may not agree, but I, I think it's a, definitely an underrated of the Universal Monsters. I think my- I'll just say this real quick. I think if it wasn't for Boris Karloff's performance and the way he, he looked, I wouldn't have been as interested in this film. I'll say it like that. <laughs> I, he I really th- did save this movie for me. I think that... Um, the idea of a mummy in a horror movie is is a little difficult to make scary. Well, it's I not think... that it makes made it scary. It's just they focus so much on love that, like, I really want to know more about, like, you know, uh, how Imhotep, which was the mummy's name, how he got to be just such a maniacal bastard that he is. Yeah. That's the thing, though, is that, I, honestly, I don't think that he was maniacal. I think that he, like I said, I think... That he was just so set in what he wanted and and how much he, he wanted to be with the woman he was in love with. That that's all he could see. I don't think there was much outside of that. And I don't think anything he did was was in a maniacal way. I just think that, he again, he was just so in love that he, he forgot that there was other things going on. But he killed the night guard. Because he loved her. <laughs> uh, this is definitely... I, it was hard for me. It was a really slow movie. It was hard for me to get into. I think that the reason that I did follow it and and pay attention is because it, Egyptian folklore is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. It, it was in the early 20s when they did the tour with the artifacts and stuff that they found with King Tut's tomb. So I think that they kind of spun off of the success of that and in, in wanting to do this movie. I think another selling point for it was the fact that a lot of people at that time hadn't seen that part of the world. Mm-hmm. So they they made a set. It was like that, a way of traveling too. Yeah, traveling it was like a, exactly. It was a way of them seeing that part of the world without actually being there. So I think that that's another thing that drew people into it. And 
after they had opened the tomb of King Tut, there were so many deaths that happened that they had the lore of the curse of King Tut's tomb. Mm-hmm. So people were interested in that because it was it was scary. Like they they were still in a stage where real life monsters weren't a thing like they are now. Mm-hmm. So this the the idea of something supernatural was so new to them that it was like, yeah, yeah. what is this? Let's yes, look it's at scary it. And it's so people really got into it. I think my biggest issue with this movie two of my biggest issues with the movie is A I wish it didn't focus as much on the romanticism. I think that... I understand that that was the main theme, but I feel like I would have liked it more if That's the mummy was more maniacal. Because it wouldn't... It would have felt more like a horror a movie. A horror movie. Because if you just had the mummy who is... Like, like Erica, like you said, like the Curse of King Tut, where they kind of went and unleashed this monster, and now they were paying for it. That I had that problem with it, but another one was... The mummy himself, Imhotep, when they first show him when he's wrapped up and he is a mummy, I think that's so great and it's such it's a... It's iconic, like, too. It's iconic and it's so He's only that way for a very short time. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a short moment. And then after that, it's just a guy with a wrinkly face to mm-hmm. me. And I'm like, <laughs> it, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like a monster to me other than that opening part because it just seems like a guy who lived in a past life who's trying to get his love back. I agree with you, Dylan. Um, I think it would have been definitely more successful if it followed more of, like, the mummy's kind of curse, like, with the curse of King Tut. And also, I will say, I I wish he would have been more in the mummy form because what a great job with the makeup effects. But I will say this. His eyes in that movie are blue. so hypnotic and just so creepy. Whenever he has that intense stare and it focuses on his eyes. And let me say... What a great effect of the lighting to make his eyes look like they were glowing. I feel I don't like know. they had to, to dodge the film to do that. Because did, did you ever take darkroom photography? I did. No. Okay, so if you take darkroom photography, in order to get con- different contrasts, you got to dodge and burn. So, like, say you have something that's really dark and something, and you want it to be lighter so you can see it better. What you do is you take a piece of paper with, like, that shape almost cut out, and you'll put it over the picture where you don't want any more light exposed to it, and it'll allow light to hit that one spot longer or less or less amount of time to make it brighter or darker. So, to me, that's what it looks like they dodged his eyes. So, pretty much, they covered his eyes, and then they darkened the rest of, of him around it so that it looks like his eyes are getting brighter. I'm pretty sure that's Well, what, right? a, what an that's effect a, that was. When I saw it, that's it, what it looked like. Like, I gotta say, even, like, I felt like I was in the film for that moment when I was, you know, just staring into his eyes. Like, they're very hypnotic and they're very creepy. And maybe if they would have, like, if he would have stayed in mummy form and he would have kept that stare, what an effect I feel like it mm-hmm. would have had as more towards a horror film. It, just going off that a little bit more, that was one of my big things, too, because when I think of Boris Karloff, I think of Frankenstein. So seeing that same face as a different character, was, it kind of aggravates me. And it, it's Does not it take just, you out of the film a little bit? Yes, and it's not just this. It's, it's a big pet peeve of mine it, with other movies, too. Like, I can't stand the fact that the guy that plays Captain America also played... Um, the Human Torch and Fantastic Four really traps my ass. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's just like it's a pet peeve. I don't know. I just 
when I think of a, a certain actor in a really strong role, that's the role that, that defines them for me. So I, I don't really like seeing them in other roles. So I think, like Steven Explain said... Explain Johnny Depp, then. He's in everything. <laughs> or Tom Cruise. Fuck him. I just, like... I think that, like Steven said, had it been the real mummy where you can see the wrappings on him and those eyes, I think it would have been a lot stronger of a depiction of that character. Mm. Almost where he was unrecognizable. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to lose all of that. So, I mean, he has a very distinct shape to his head. It's it's that Frankenstein is very, like, square. And he's got a lot of, like, distinct edges in his face. Mm-hmm. And I He has think an that- angular face. I think that they could have kept that and still wrapped him like a mummy. And without... he would have been more unrecognizable. Exactly. Funny, funny thing is a lot of disagreement with the makeup, that it was not that impressive that you could tell it was obviously Boris Karloff. Um, Jack Pierce actually received his first award for the makeup in this film. Really? And yes. not Frankenstein? Yes. Yep. He won the an award for the makeup in this film. And he he ended up dying in the 60s. And he had the award in the studios with him in his, like, makeup studio. And the award went missing. And they didn't find it until, like, years later. And it was, like, hidden under a sink. And they were, like, emptying out the studio. And they had found his award, like, hidden under a sink somewhere. Which I thought was just funny. Like, he just didn't... Apparently, he just didn't care that much. Because he just threw it (laughs) somewhere. But, um, I, I, I don't know. I like the theme of love in this movie. I just... I, I think... Without that theme being so major, I don't think you would have had the movie because the whole reason he wanted to come back to life, the whole reason he wanted that scroll, every every plot point in this movie revolves around him <clears throat> being so in love with this woman. So I don't think that, that there would have been a movie without that. I can see that. One part I love about this movie is uh, when the archaeologist in the beginning, he's reading the, the like scripture that brings Imhotep back to life. It's like there's so much silence in that part. And it's oh, it's like a good minute. Yeah, and it's so suspenseful, and it's to the point where, like, if you look away, it's it's such a visual thing. Like, you have to be watching to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's it builds a lot of suspense, too, because with how much silence, you know what's coming. And then after Imhotep comes alive and, like, comes and takes the, uh, the scripture and, like, walks away, and the guy just starts, like, hysterically laughing, it's such a creepy moment. It was silent for so long, and then all of a sudden you just hear this, like, very loud, almost insane laugh. Oh, yeah, from the guy that that opened up the box with the scroll in it. Yeah. I think that was probably the creepiest part for me. I think my favorite scene in this was when Imhotep was actually telling the girl about how he got to where he was, like... How he his, his it was his own father that that ended up burying him alive, and it, he goes through his whole story with the woman, and that was my favorite part because you really got the understanding of how dedicated he was to what he was trying to do, and he turned his back on everything, on his family, on him, uh, on everything he knew, because of this woman that he loved, and then he brought her back, and he wanted to be eternally with her, and she told him no. I love that every movie. There's no, like, like when you watch a movie now, after the climax of the film and, like, the like the big ending, there's kind of, like, some resolution at the end where these movies, like, it ends with the monster dying and then that's it. It just comes up the end. I think that's yep. pretty funny. Very straight to the point <laughs> yeah. endings, yeah. I have some interesting information on this film. The original film poster for this movie has a record for the most money paid for a film poster. 
and it sold for more than $453,000. Wow. Yeah, which is a lot of money. I would sell a film poster for that much, so. I found my fun fact. Okay, Erica has a fun fact for us. So, the writer of The Mummy was present for the opening of uh, Tutankhamun's tomb. So, it says here, before landing his gig in Hollywood... The mummy writer John Lloyd Balderston was a foreign correspondent for the New York World, and he wrote exclusively about the opening of King Tut's tomb in 1922. Uh, Originally, Universal Films was going to follow a 300-year-old magician living in San Francisco, but Balderston joined the project um, and moved the story to to Egypt, uh, renamed renamed the main character, and focused on the... The scroll of, uh, of, is it Thoth? Toth? 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 Um, he also worked on other projects like Frankenstein, uh, Dracula and Bride of Frankenstein. But I thought that was a pretty cool fact, was that he was one of the, um, one of the reporters mm-hmm. who reported on the actual opening of King Tut's tomb. That's awesome. Um, That's probably where they got the name Imhotep then, because Imhotep was a real Egyptian. Yes. But he was not a, a king or a prince or anything like that. He was actually just an architect, and he designed the pyramids. Yeah, so we we have pretty, pretty much almost got a completely different movie that would have been The Mummy. Yes. Yeah. It would have been That's The Magician. <laughs> one, one thing I noticed in this movie was um, Edward Von Sloan who played the, I think he was the university professor in Frankenstein, and he also plays Van Helsing in Dracula. I think it's cool that he's in all these movies. I was going to say that. He definitely looked familiar, and then I saw the connection. It wasn't even the look. It's just his voice is so distinct. Like, the way he talks with the pauses and stuff. Dude, I forgot how many times Dracula's been redone. Or, like, not redone, but brought up. Like, I forgot that they did the the Van Helsing movie in, like, 2000 and something. (laughs) I think out of all I of them... I loved Van Van Helsing. Don't don't judge me for that. I fucking loved Van Helsing. No, I did too. I saw it in I theaters. Too. I think that it's it's interesting because you have the original monsters and if you if you watch all of them, I think that Dracula, even though most people and like even even you like Frankenstein's it I think that Dracula is, is probably the most well known. Oh well, oh, yeah. well, that's the thing though. Is like Nosferatu is the first known mm-hmm. Dracula. He's the first vampire. Then there was this Dracula. Then there was how many sequels? And then there was the remake of Dracula. And then you know you have Van Helsing. You have Dracula Untold. You have the Interview with the Vampire series. You have endless books. Mm-hmm. You have endless amounts of vampire and, I and think Dracula that stuff. That goes back to unfortunately the they kept going and going and going and then we got fucking Twilight. <laughs> unfortunately. Vladimir the Poker. <laughs> and then we got what we do in the shadows and everything was okay. <laughs> I got I gotta thank Dan for turning me on to that. Thank you, Daniel. Ago. That's the only good thing you ever gave to my life. Whoa, shots fired. Oh, I, just like, I like to be mean to Dan. It, <laughs> it makes my heart sore. But yeah, I don't really have too much more to add about the mummy. I don't know. Same. I'm just excited for Creature. Me too. Yeah. All right, let's do ratings. One. All right, so my rating on this is going to be three stars out of five. It's and still that's not bad. Only, yeah. yeah, and that's only because Boris Karloff's performance and uh, his creepy eyes if it his wasn't PBS. for him or his eyes, honestly, PBS this film would have put me. Oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, this film probably would have put me to sleep. 
Boris Karloff, uh, his performance was amazing. His look was pretty solid. I just wish it would have been more in the actual mummy form. Like I said, if they would have combined his creepy eyes with him still being uh, all done up in the makeup and wrapped up like, you know, a traditional mummy, it would have had more of a horror feel to it. So, yeah, three stars for me. Can I say one thing before we keep doing ratings? The reasoning for him not being in mummy form, just a heads up for everybody. After the curse is read and he's brought back to life, he reanimates. So he becomes human. Oh, I know the story. I just that's I just... that's the only. I just want to bring it up because there's a yeah, no, nah, yeah, not just I... like to to be like lazy with the makeup or anything. That's like that's just... it's just very misleading. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, it should have just been called Emotep, which they were originally going to call it. And that would have worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you hear the mummy and you expect to see, a mummy you see that time. iconic picture. Mm-hmm. You think that movie tomb. under wraps? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. Me too. Is this so oh, good? Oh, what a classic! <laughs> so good. We'll we'll review that one day. <laughs> Erica? All right. It was a little slow for me. It's definitely not the worst of the Universal Monsters. Like Steven said, it it definitely could have been better with the makeup. And I know that Sarah touched on that that was what they were going for. And again, I think think it's misleading a little bit because you're thinking of a mummy. And that's not really what you got. You got more of like a... Egyptian god. A middle-aged Shriner. Yeah. (laughs) Um, <laughs> what a great way of putting it. <laughs> yep. I'm just, that's what it looked like. Did he, he not look he like was, a Shriner? He was 45 in this movie, so he's exactly. middle-aged. Middle-aged Shriner, instead of, like, a corpse in toilet paper. I don't know, it was just slow. That was, like, my biggest thing. It was slow. And, like Steven said, it's very much like a movie that you could fall asleep kind of watching. It's forgettable. It's not forgettable. No, I don't want to. I don't want to give it that. It's it's definitely not forgettable. Um, I like the idea. I like that they kind of took off from the King Tut. I think that there was a lot with the King with King Tut and the the curse and stuff that they could have went into that would have definitely made it more more scary. Mm. Um, but I think that for its age, it did what it was supposed to. It yeah. was it was a movie that was both a horror film but it had that romantic aspect to it I think it's very much for that time period something that both men and women could watch and could yeah. enjoy it's something that it's the ultimate date night movie kids could could potentially watch and not be absolutely terrified um, so if I had to, had to give it a, a rating I, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Steven and, and go with a three I think, a, I think three is a fitting number I mean like I said, it's it's definitely not the worst out of the Universal movies, but it's also not the best. Um, and I'm not going to lie, <laughs> I'm interested to see how the reboot goes, because I think that the Brendan Fraser was very... It's a comedy. It's it's an action-adventure, but it's a comical action-adventure. I love the... And I will always <laughs> think of him as Encino Man. <laughs> oh, that's so hard to not but, picture him eating your frog, right? <laughs> but I, I think that, you know, while I'm definitely not... I'm not a huge um, Tom Cruise Tom Cruise fan at all. We all hate on Tom Cruise, but maybe not Steven. He hasn't mentioned his opinion on Tom Cruise. But I think uh, I think that it could definitely. I think it could be fun. I think it's definitely going to be more towards Indiana Jones and National Treasure. <laughs> well, that that's how I felt but, about the remake that Brendan Fraser was in. That it was much more Indiana. Like it was. I thought it was a fun adventure, and I thought I thought it was fun as a kid. Me and Kyle fucking watched it all the time. Yeah. I'll say this about Tom Cruise real quick. (laughs) Go. Fucking loved him 
in Interview with the Vampire. Oh, yeah, he, he was great as Lestat. Anything else besides maybe his little part in Tropic Thunder that was so over the top? <laughs> Everything else I could give a fuck less about. He, but I like really? Interview with the Vampire. Dude, at the end when he puts on when he kills the guy in, in his like soft top car and he puts on the jacket and he like pops the collar and he's like you like you could just see it like in his head he's like yeah. I'm he doesn't kill back. Christian Slater's character. Oh no, he's gonna make him into a vampire. He turns him. Christian Slater! Again! I like, um... Dylan doesn't know who Christian Slater is. What? I like Tom Cruise in Change The Outsiders. The I oh love... yeah, no, actually, yeah, he was good in The Outsiders. Too. I like him he in The Outsiders. Shirt, right? Yeah, and I think he did good in... Top Gun? No. <laughs> no, War of the Worlds. Yeah. They're... The more recent one that they put out, I thought that that was a... I, I enjoyed that movie. He's too short. Okay, I saw the thing about his face. His face, his, like, obviously human faces are not symmetrical at all. (laughs) But his two front teeth, his one tooth is directly in the middle of his face. And it's really annoying now. So it's like the only thing I can notice now. Yeah. (laughs) That's what ruined it for me. All right. All right, so my rating, the biggest thing I can say with this movie is... It took four of us to give a plot summary. Yeah. I have watched this movie multiple times, and I can still, like... I Like, even watching it more... Like, when we watched it the other night for this episode, I had no idea what was happening. It was so hard to follow, and I think it's because it's so slow-moving that it doesn't draw your attention in. And Which is crazy, because it's only an hour and, like, nine minutes. Yeah. It was Suspiria <laughs> all over again. It even, like, when you have an hour movie that is still slow and drawn out that you could have made shorter and gotten the same point across, I think for that reason I would give it... I, I agree with you guys that i give it a three. I do think that it is a very important movie. There are aspects that I do like about it. I think that the acting was great. Again, Boris Karloff does a great job, and I think it was good, too, to see more of an acting role from him. Because in Frankenstein, you know, he had no lines. He was this, like, caveman-type guy, where in this, he was a very complex character. He has lines in The Bride of Frankenstein, though. Yeah. He's a very complex character. Well, yeah, because he reads the book in Frank... He learns how to read and talk in... But... Yeah, he, you get a very complex character from him, and I think that it was great to see him perform in that way because before this, nobody really knew what Boris Karloff was capable of as far as like acting in another. He role. has a beautiful speaking voice too. Yeah, so I, I would give it a three. I, I would again, every single Universal horror movie I think is very important for any like person, this not even horror, but film in general to watch, so absolutely watch this movie, but I will say that don't go in expecting, like, as big of a masterpiece as Frankenstein was. The Mummy is not my favorite universal horror movie by any means. I do feel that you guys are being a little harsh with the love story. I feel like it was a very, very important part of the plot. I don't think the movie would be there if it wasn't for the love story that's in the background. I think it, it, it makes the movie... And I don't think there's anything wrong with a little bit of romance. Um, Come on, Sierra. This is a horror movie, not a love movie. Steve, Steven's just <laughs> feeling a little sore right now. <laughs> the, the dead mummy gets more game. Ooh. Damn. Ooh. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, I'm dying right now. <laughs> it's, it's coming from a good place in my heart, Steven. Ouch. <laughs> I'm calling the fucking cops because there was just a murder. <laughs> oh, 
Cyber murder. Water. Oh, God. Um, I think Boris Karloff delivers amazingly in this movie, and it's, it is nice, I'm going to agree with Dylan, to have him in a, in, in a role that shows what he can do. He has an amazing speaking voice, and in this movie you see it, and he puts emotion into into this character, and it just really comes across like like that. Like You can look at Boris Karloff in this movie and say, oh my god, he is so in love and infatuated with this. And... I, I think it was well done. I think it was a beautiful movie. Do I necessarily think it's horror? No. But really, would you consider any of these movies horror in this yes. day and age? No. They're not They're not what today's horror standards are. I've seen some quote-unquote horror movies that have come out recently that were less scary than Frankenstein was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's a different horror standard. Yeah. You know, like, was this movie necessarily scary? No, but I do feel that with the reboot that came out with Brendan Fraser and the reboot that's coming out is that they've gotten a better idea in putting it as an action-adventure movie. And I think that it very much fits like that because it does have a story that would be work really well with an Indiana Jones-type yeah. style movie. Uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, and I think it's good that they looked at it and they realized that maybe this isn't going to work as a modern horror movie. And they did change it. But I think this film in 1932 is a very successful film. And I'm going to give it a 4. So that gives it a 3.25. So an average of 3 star rating. Science couldn't explain it. But there it was, alive, in the deep, deep waters of the Amazon. A throwback to a creature that had existed a hundred million years ago. Immensely strong and destructive. A woman's beauty, the bait that brought it out of its lair. See underwater thrills never photographed before. See titanic underwater battles never dreamed of before in this most terrifying of the science fiction adventures. The last movie that we're going to cover is Creature from the Black Lagoon, which was released March 5th, 1954 which is one of the later Universal films. It's starring Richard Carlson and Julia Adams. What a babe. Oof. Yes. <sighs> She's so good looking. Oh, that she part in the bathing box. suit. I love that swimsuit <sighs> she wears. Right? And this plot follows... Uh, it starts out with a professor that finds a fossil... Oh, I guess I can leave it. Yeah. Okay. It starts out with a professor who finds a fossil of what looks like a webbed hand claw coming out of a rock. I'm doing hand motions right now. <laughs> Metal as fuck. So he contacts what used to be a for it was a former student, a, a, the doctor and his girl, which is uh, Richard Carlson and Julia Adams, and he's like, hey. David and Kay. Yeah, David and Kay, and he find he's like, hey, found the sick fossil. Come check it out. I need help with this. So they go into the Amazon and they, they view this, the fossil, and they're like, oh, maybe part of... They're digging at it, and they find nothing. So David says it's possible that some of the fossil had been washed into the river and has gone down, and the guy who was guiding them through the Amazon's like, yeah, there's a lagoon. Maybe it's there. So they go, and that's where they find the creature. I'm not going to go into too much more detail on it, but... 
and it's also, like every typical monster movie where it's a fight for survival and to get out. Well, I think this one is a lot different from the other ones because Mark, who was another man that was on the expedition, was very much into the idea of killing the monster, bringing the body back. And David and Kay were like, if we leave it alone, nothing will come of it. Like, don't disturb it. But because Kay kind of, like, taunts it and, like, tries to go after it, it barricades them in. And that's when they have to start fighting for survival. Because up until that point, they could have just left and there would have been no consequence. Another example of the greed of man leading into deadly situations. At the same time, though, I feel like the creature does does get the hots for Julia Adams. Which Are you kidding you me? He gets so him? savage. Can you or the blame point where him? I turned into a creature for her. He's trying to get his You notice how, like, it, it, earlier in the film, he's very discreet and very mm. low-key. Yeah. Whereas, like, almost towards, like, the last 15 minutes where he literally jumps on the boat, snatches her in front of everybody. It he's was like, in arm's reach. Guy. And jumps off the boat with her, like, Both my man... He knows what he wants, and he's going for it. Hands down, the best scene that, in my personal opinion, is when she's when the guys are like, oh, we got some rocks, let's go see if these are good. And she's like, well, I'm going to go for a swim by myself. And she, like, gets in the water, and it's showing, like, she has no clue what's going on. But she's swimming, and, like, right under her, he's swimming. And it's I just think that's the most iconic such a cool scene. And then she's like, she's, like, waiting in the water, and she starts feeling something touching her foot. And she's, like, looking, and she doesn't see anything. And then that's when the guys come out, and they're like, whoa, too far out, come back. And she goes back, and nothing happens with it, but it's just, like, such a cool scene where he's just kind of, like, he's, he's being kind of creepy. He's stalking her. I wonder if uh, Steven Spielberg, uh, his influence was for Jaws was taken from this film, because I see a lot of similarities. Like, when, uh, what's-her-name is uh, swimming in the lagoon, and... It shows uh, the gill man swimming under her, but she doesn't see it, but we get to. Mm -hmm. And also when uh, the gill man kind of, like, rubs against her. Like, I wonder if Steven Spielberg, like, was like, you know what? That's a pretty effective scene. And I I thought it was actually a good choice of early suspense. As Mm -hmm. with most of this film, it did a great job of, you know, making things uh, seem very suspenseful. Like, or, like, you know, when his hand reaches out of the island to almost grab her. When they first, uh, you know, appear at the campsite, yeah, you know what I mean. I was kind of like, oh shit, you know what I mean. Like she's about to get taken right now. I, I think that did add a lot of suspense to it, and I think what added the most suspense to the movie, at least for me, was the music, because every yes. time it shows the hand come up, it, it has this very dramatic music playing, and it da, 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 da. Up, yeah, <laughs> and it leads up like. Because the first few times you only see the hand and you're like waiting for that full reveal, which we all know now what the Gill Man looks like. But I could only imagine what it would have been like back in the day because before you saw him. Yeah, because one thing we also didn't touch on was this movie was made for 3D. And it was one of the... I did not know that. Yeah, it, what? Was, one of, it was one of the first movies <laughs> no, made... No, I didn't. It was I one think of it was the, first, the second movie, yeah, yeah. Made for 3D, so... Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, I could only imagine having that reveal come, what like, up until that point where you're only seeing the hand, and it's such, like, a suspenseful thing. One thing I loved about the way this movie was shot was because of the black and white, the water looks black. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was really cool because anytime they're on the boat or anything, I mean, we know that seeing the lagoon in color, it wouldn't be, look black, but it looks pitch black and it's 
I think that adds to the overall look in the movie of the movie in general. And to the title. Yeah. I I like when they um when they first get into the lagoon and it's like dead trees, like black water, like that creepy Spanish moss. And she's like, "Oh my god, it's beautiful." You're like, "No, that's creepy as hell, woman. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck you're talking about." It is. It's it's very scary looking, and then for them to just be like, "I'm gonna jump into this." Like I know there's weird shit in the Amazon. I've never been to the Amazon, and I would not swim in that water. Like ballsy people, and I'll swim almost anywhere. I think the Gilman's costume was amazing. Yeah. Um, it was based on 17th century stories of a sea monk and a sea bishop, which if you look up pictures of them, definitely you looks. can definitely see the influence for it. But just the amount of like thought that went into it, like um, the gills actually move like real gills would. And Sierra pointed out too, like his neck, like it, it expands, expands like, like a, frog. a frog. Yeah. When he um, breathes. Uh, and also the the guy who made the movie. He wanted to make it as realistic as possible to, you know, the creatures breathing in through its gills. So he didn't want any air bubbles coming out of the mouth or the nose of the creature because you wouldn't see air bubbles coming out of a fish's mouth. So just to add to that, the stuntman who were, or the stuntman who was playing the gill man, he had to hold his breath for like four minutes at a time underwater to achieve Holy that, shit. Yeah, to achieve that effect. The- so. The Gilman suit was, um, it, was, it wasn't makeup, it, it was a full suit that you wore. Um, most of it was, like, rubber, so it was, pretty, it was probably pretty heavy. They had two different versions of the suit. They were almost identical. One was for the stuntman, and one was for the actual actor who played the creature. Or the Gilman. I hate that they say Creature from the Black Lagoon, but then they call him the Gilman. It's yeah. like... But, um... Yeah, so they had two, and there was a rumor that the one that the stuntman wore, and he did all all the swimming, all the underwater scenes, was the stuntman. Um, there was a rumor that his was painted yellow so that it was easier to see in the water, but that's not true. It was pretty much identical to the same suit that was used by the main actor who played the gill man, which was green, since it's in black and white. I guess I should tell you that it was green. I think another thing that made this movie as like great as it was was the fact that so many scenes are shot underwater mm-hmm. and that's not something that you had a lot of at the time and especially now i mean you have shark movies like steven you brought up jaws where you do get those underwater scenes but so much of this film was shot underwater and it's like it almost creates an entirely new like second world underneath mm-hmm. the, the water environment which i think is great I loved all the parts too, where like they were they were under the water looking for him, and he'd like swim and then like hide in the the, yeah, in the, the growth, yeah, yeah. In the seaweed under the water. And he would hide in it, and he just kind of sits there like paused. Mm-hmm. And then once they were like gone, he'd he'd move to the next place. And, but there was actually a scene, another scene that I really loved was when they were um, trying to get him with the harpoon done, mm-hmm. and like he. What was the the douchebag's name? Mark? Mark. Mark. He was, like, swimming with Mark, and he has him, and they're, like, twirling and swirling through the water, and they're, like, hitting the the ground, and the dirt's getting kicked up, and it's, like, parts of it go completely, like, you can't see see them fully. You can see, like, an arm, or you can see a leg, and and that was actually really well filmed. Like, watching that, it was a really cool scene to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, It was really well done. So I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's cool because you have... It's such an early stage in film, 
So the fact that they were able to take something that was still pretty new and still make something else entirely new with it. Well, that's was the great. thing is that this movie touched on so many different options in filming. They filmed underwater. They they filmed in 3D. Like that's huge. And and even even now, there's not a ton of 3D movies. You know, so so it's pretty impressive that a movie from 1954 was in 3D, and like to this day, 3D is still kind of weird and wonky. Like it's mm-hmm. not perfected yet. So that that's kind of a, a victory in its own. I really like the beginning um, when the professor is going to meet. Uh, is it's Dave and Kay, mm-hmm. and he's out on the dock, and they're waiting for Dave to come up out of the water, and she's ringing the bells, and you can see it like descend down to the water where he is and he's like under there and he's interacting with all the fish and for some reason the thing that really stuck out to me is when they're going back to the mainland Kay's driving the boat and it just kind of shows where we were as far as like the roles of women changing Mm because you're talking it's post World War 2 so in not trying to to touch on like a, a feminist thing. I did but, almost every episode next. <laughs> um, World War Two kind of really set the stage for for women's rights. So, women in the workplace. They were in, exactly. You have you have women in the workplace and women going into school. Well, they they took the men's roles when they were away, and that's what they're what they're doing. So Kay is very she's very strong. And she's intrigued by the monster. She, you, there's very few scenes where you kind of see her genuinely scared of him. Mm-hmm. And she's more so just intrigued with him. She wants to know what he is. And she's into uh, the, the expedition as a whole. So here she is out on this boat with all these guys. And she's just as gung-ho to find this thing as anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I guess going back to seeing that time... You know, she's out on the boat sunbathing, and she's just, like, swimming. So, I mean, there's still some roles that she plays where she's very much that vulnerable female. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, like, at the end when, you know, she she's knocked out and the creature's carrying her. And she gets saved by the man. Who and, yeah, I mean, again, it goes back to that kind of romantic feel without mm-hmm. having that overly... There's two love stories going on in this lovey, movie. Lovey, lovey shit that the mummy had. (laughs) (laughs) And I hate being like that, but that's just how it is. Because, like, when I think of horror movies, I I don't necessarily think of a love story. I think of... I I guess if you want a love story, you watch a slasher movie where people are banging in a tent. (laughs) But that's not what I... Are you talking about Brokeback Mountain? (laughs) But I, you know, like... You're definitely talking about Brokeback Mountain. (laughs) Maybe. Um, but yeah, I think that she was just like a really strong character. And I think that David's character was very strong. Mm -hmm. He was very passionate about what he did without being Mark. (laughs) I love love that they added that dynamic too, between the two different people that would be on this type of expedition. And it added a whole nother subplot of like these two being at each other's throats for the whole movie of what's going on. And I think that's great because it added depth and it added a lot more character development that we didn't see in the earlier universe. Absolutely. And I agree with that a hundred percent. I think that Mark's character, even though he was a dick 
was a strong character. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that. But were it we happy when he died? Without him, we were happy when he died, though. I, I, I mean, it doesn't really. I don't know. It wasn't one of those things that kind of like made or break it. I mean, I think that I he could have lived and had just like. It would have been I don't the know. same story. Did that guy who got really injured live? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he was just really fucked up. They but... just never like like they they like halfway through the movie they just stopped bringing him up. Like he was just like laying there, and then he wasn't like they just never got brought up again. Yo, my favorite character though. Shout out to the guy that was driving the boat when uh, <laughs> Mark was getting. No, seriously, he was yeah, my he was favorite character besides besides the Gill Man himself. Like, I, I know what I know what part you're gonna bring up, and uh-huh. it, I fucking love that part. <laughs> yeah, yo, when Mark's trying to take control of the boat, and he's like, "Nah, ah, motherfucker," pulls the blade out to his throat. I yeah. was like, "Yo, that is my boy, right?" Not there. even that, but like he's smiling Hold when he down. says it, and he's like, "The he captain's in charge." <laughs> he had a yeah. star in his mouth too. Yeah, like exactly. what a badass. <laughs> exactly, it was such an awesome scene. I was like, "Yo, this guy instantly became my favorite in the movie after that scene." Yeah. So the the movie the way it's shot I think visually is great but there's two scenes visually that very much stand out to me. One of them is when they drop the drugs in the water and you just see the like white like dissipating into the black lagoon like it's such it's very well shot. Like it, I love the way that it looked but the other one that I loved, and I think it was a, it was really creepy, actually. And I think that this movie, more so than the other two that we watched, and more so than any of the other Universal movies, it actually was, like, very creepy at times. But the part where it's nighttime, it's towards the end of the movie, and they shine the spotlight, and you see the, uh, the Gill Man on the other side of the lake, like, stand up and turn and look at them. It's such a, like, eerie shot, and I, I, oh, yeah. I love it so much. It reminded me of the iconic Bigfoot photo. Where he's like, he's like walking. Yes, the Patterson like, film. Yes, yes, and his like, he's got like the one arm, uh, the one arm in extended front of him, in the front, and the, the one, one behind, behind him, him. Yeah. with the and sideways like, head look. Yeah, yes. he's just strolling, yep. and that's what you know, it reminded it's, it's, me of. It's funny you bring that up because there's a Bigfoot horror movie called Creature from the Black Lake. I'm not kidding. I actually owned it on VHS. And uh Is it so, is talk it a about similar story? Title. It's uh no, well, a completely different story and it focuses on a Bigfoot instead of um uh, you know, Gilman. Clearly like a Gilman type creature. It's And it doesn't even focus on the lake that much. It's just like the it just ha- there happens to be like more if anything more like a bayou than a lake. Yeah. But, because it takes place in, like, Mississippi or some shit. And, uh, yeah, but it's called The Creature from the Black Lake. <laughs> Very they close. Were, they, weren't, they weren't taking from the title at all. Yeah, you know, totally. But, hey, I place. think uh, <laughs> of all places I found it um, was at a Rite Aid on VHS. <laughs> and I couldn't help but just, like, get it. And I honestly, I like it now because it's it's so cheesy and anything related to Bigfoot, like, I love. So yeah. it's just one of those... You know, little gems you find. But the first, uh, the first time I ever saw Creature from the Black Lagoon, and I know I've mentioned this before, and I'm the only one that kind of recalls this was, this was at a time, dating myself a little bit again, when you could rent um, VHSs from Price Chopper. Before it was the Flora section, like the one in Middletown, it was a VHS rental section, and that <laughs> I would always ask my one grandmother to rent it 
almost every time, along with, like, Goosebumps films. See, I, I came into this one late, again, like, with the other uh, Universal movies, but I think the first time I watched it was with Sierra in her first apartment, and it was, like, torrential downpouring outside and storming, and it was just, like, the perfect time to watch it. He tried so Love hard it. this week to wait until we had a rainstorm to watch them, but, like, yeah. we, we, we would get rain, like, in the middle of the day and then not at night, and he was, like, so pissed off about it because <laughs> he loves watching these movies when it's raining. Oh, it just adds to the effect. I yeah. love watching a movie in, like, a certain setting. Yeah. It, it just really puts you there. For, you, for the Universal movies, I I always think of winter. Like, I, I want to watch them in the winter. Or, but, like, late fall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, back on track with Creature from the Black Lagoon, though, there was one part of the movie that I really liked. It was um, dialogue between, I want to say it was David and Mark when they were on the boat. And uh, Mark's kind of saying this thing, like, we have to kill it, we have to bring it back, because nobody's going to believe us. And I love David's little speech that he gives, where he's like, we're trying so hard to find life on other planets in space, but we don't know anything about what, the lives, water, here. what lives here and the water's here. Like, if we are so sure that there's life on other planets, then why are we not sure that there's intelligent life under the waters on a planet where intelligent life already exists? And I that's think a that, good point. He I was like, there. dude, that was deep. <laughs> that's that's yeah. our argument with Sasquatch. No. Okay. <laughs> don't spark that fire right now. You don't want to do it. Um, I have an interesting uh, story from the set of Creature from the Black Lagoon. The stuntman that played the gill man underwater while shooting a scene had to use the bathroom really badly. So he strolls to the bathroom thinking nothing of it in full Gilman suit. And he walks into the bathroom where a mother was, like, coming out with her child and scared the shit out of them. <laughs> what an awesome story that boy probably was at the time. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, imagine, imagine? <laughs> imagine being that kid, though, like, when the movie comes out, like, that kid had a story to tell for the rest of his life. Oh, like, yeah. You know Creature from Absolutely. the Black Lagoon, that fucking masterpiece of a movie? Yeah, I saw it before it even came out. I lived it. <laughs> I lived it. <laughs> Live that nightmare. How much you want to bet that kid never used a public restroom again? <laughs> probably not. He's probably terrified. Don't trust mom ever. Um, oh, the part that Eric had brought up earlier about when um, Kay is being carried by the Gilman and is unconscious. That was sincere. <laughs> the Gilman knocked her. The the man who played the the Gilman, he because of the costume and the set eyes, it was hard to see. So he was carrying her, and you couldn't see. And she like hit her head on the set. On the set. Whoa! Wait, she was really knocked out. Yeah, I, that's why I said it was sincere, Stephen. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. Like I was like, wait, what? <laughs> what do you mean sincere? Yeah, no, she was actually unconscious. Um, she she got hit by the set while being carried. Um, it also says that she performed her own stunts, which I think that's the only stunt she performed. <laughs> yeah, I got knocked out once. Yeah, probably, yeah. Uh, I don't think there was much stunts going on. Like, she swam. I can swim. Can one thing swim? I want to point out that I have to before my husband divorces me. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Problem. Oh, God. <laughs> so, my husband's really big into fish. We have aquariums. Sarah and Dylan have aquariums. I blame them. <laughs> Sorry, but <laughs> it is our fault. A lot of the um, a lot of the film and a lot of the swampy scenes were shot in Florida. Yep. 
And one of the scenes when they're diving, I think it was actually the opening scene when the professor goes to get David and Kay. So he's down under underneath the water and he's swimming around and the fish that are swimming around him are gar. And the first thing out of my husband's mouth is, well, this didn't take place in South America. Yeah, like, <laughs> he, he, was, he, he rushed the whole fucking movie because of the gar. Yeah, he was, like, three days after they watched it, he was still, like, randomly talking to him. He'd be like, yeah, I can't believe they put gar in that movie. They're not even native to South America. I'm like, really, Kyle? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, absolutely fucking distraught like, we, over these fish. Like, we would be talking about something absolutely unrelated and he'd randomly be like I can't believe they put Gar in that movie I'm like dude get <laughs> off of it talk about like attention it, to detail it destroyed the movie for him yeah and um one of the things that I loved about it was the huge fish tank at the university the sharks those sharks were so cool they're and called I leopard sh- sharks similar to, to the monster from Frankenstein um Gilman became a very iconic character and like Frankenstein, he ended up in cartoons, movies, TV shows. He made an appearance in the Munsters as Uncle Gilbert, so he was related to the Munsters. And it was the actual Gilman that that made the appearance in the Munsters too. It wasn't like how the Herman Munster looks like Frankenstein. <coughs> it actually was uh, the Gilman. So that's a fun fact. Cool. I love the Munsters. I do too. Like yeah. I can watch it to this day, like no problem. This is uh, my all-time favorite Universal monster. I thought the design of the Gilman was absolutely amazing, and it was so realistic for its time. And I was, yeah, I just I love monsters in general. So I don't know, just the whole half-human, half-amphibian look just fucking worked yeah. so well. I, I it think, was just oh, so creepy at times too. <laughs> I th- I think that he was a really cool creature. Um, his suit was cool, but it wasn't my favorite look. Like, I love, and I love him. I do. I really do. But I think, I, I just don't, to me, like, it was very stiff, and, it, and it, it, the suit was rubber. It was, like, hard. It wasn't something that was, like, moving with him so well. So, to me, I looked at it, and I was like, this is very not, I don't know. Like, I can't, it, it didn't look like scales, or it didn't look like, like a frog. It, it looked hard. It looks like plastic to me. He looks like Also, keep, keep this in mind real quick. I'm also that guy that loves the 1960s, like, Godzilla films with the guy in the yeah, obvious suit. Yeah, very similar. So that's probably it. why I was just like, oh, cool. You know, I think it's awesome. Well, I, I think, think it's what... beautiful for its time. It's just, like, for me, like, personally, I would take, like, Dracula or Frankenstein well, over what... the Gilman just for the look. I think what sets it apart is this is the only one of the Universal Monsters that is a costume as opposed to makeup. Makeup. So Mm -hmm. it's a totally different thing that you're going into. So as far as a costume, I think that it was amazing. I I think the detail put into it was amazing. I tried to see if you can buy the costume, like the actual costume used. I don't know where you're going to find it. I can't find it anywhere. I I, I thought that, like, not even just to buy it, like, just curious, like, is it in a museum somewhere? I didn't find any information on it. Oh, I found something on it. Did you? Yeah, um, they bought the costume, I think it was, like, an old Halloween costume from a kid or something, and, uh, they bought it and used it for the three films, and then threw it away. They threw it in a dumpster, and a janitor... What? 
a janitor at Universal found it in the dumpster, took it out, and sold it at an auction for like a high amount of money. Smart. What, what were you gonna say before, Erica? You're on to something, and I was I wanted I was curious, but I just got so excited about guys in suits as to related to what Sierra was saying. Oh, I was just saying, like, um, I think I think it was what I was saying. <laughs> a lot of his movement and stuff. There's there's a couple fish that we've seen while out shopping for them. Oh, the toad fish. Um, that have similar movements. It, mm-hmm. The one that sticks out to me is that angler fish. Um, yeah, it uses its um, its fins to climb. So, like, if you have rocks and stuff in your tank, it uses its it's got like. It has claw-like hands. Claw-like like, hands, yeah. Very much like It's, the, like, the on creature. the bottom of them, and they're very short. Yeah. And they shimmy up rocks. Yeah, they, like, wobble up things. They're they're the fucking ugliest, coolest fish in the world. Can we say shout-out to Gilman? Because he was taking shots like a champ at the end. He took a headshot, still walked away. Yo, he was like Michael Myers. You just yeah. could not put him fucking <laughs> down. Like- well, it's because his it's because he was he was like uh, wearing armor pretty much. Yeah. Well, they the way he's the movie ends. He's ricochet bullets. The way the movie ends, he like gets in the the swamp, whatever. And it looks and, like he dies. And he like sinks down. And the they purposely wanted to make it so that you don't see what happens to him because they were planning on making sequels. Which this movie, I don't think I've ever watched the sequels to it, but I know that they aren't as well done as this one, which is expected. I I just know Clint Eastwood is in the second one. That's it was it. his first uh, film that he was ever in. I love Clint huh. Eastwood. What a way to start. <laughs> and then he went cowboy. Right? One of the things that I want to point out on this, and all of the movies in general, is you can really tell the difference between those decades and where we are now as a society because when you look at these movies they're actual monsters Mm -hmm. and those monsters were terrifying to people and if you look at horror movies now they're about gore they're about Mm -hmm. murderers and it just shows you what a huge difference our our society and our world has kind of come to well even monster movies now like movies that have creatures 90 percent of the time they're low budget straight to dvd and, they're, and they, they, they still focus, focus on, on gore. gore yeah yeah and Jinx. they just don't do as well and it's just like it's amazing to me because back then the boogeyman was like a scary thing and oh, nowadays boogeyman. you know nowadays you have to worry about going to the fucking gas station, you know? <laughs> All right, ratings. Are we getting into ratings? Is there anything else anybody wants to bring up with it? Yeah, and nope. key points and ratings. All right, so my rating for this movie is five stars. Look at that. I guessed that one, Steven. Because, again, this is my favorite universal monster, so much that I definitely plan on getting a Gill Man tattoo, and I just loved it. Everything about the creature itself, uh, the design, uh, how now that you mentioned the way he moves kind of similar to that fish, I didn't notice that, but that just makes it more authentic. Also, the setting of the movie was great. And this movie was did a good job of like portraying early suspense moments that made you kind of, even today watching it, kind of sat on my, the edge of my seat a bit. I was like, oh, shit, oh, shit. You know, you just... It's so cool to see an earlier film kind of still have that effect. So, yeah, a solid five stars from me. 
Okay. I think it was an interesting story. It's got a lot of similarities with the mummy in a sense that there is a lot of factual stuff that's in it. So like with the mummy, they, they used a lot of references to the pyramids and ancient artifacts and they used a lot of um, stuff that was as true as they could get to that time period in reference and used it within the filming. So I see a lot of that in Creature. So they they used a lot of thought when creating him in a sense that he, like you said, the, the way that his gills move, the way that his throat expands, the way that you can see how almost difficult it was for him to breathe out of water, the way that a fish would have difficulty breathing out of water. Um, I think that a lot of the shots underwater were done absolutely beautifully, especially for that time period. I mean, I can't imagine how difficult getting such good shots were, considering that he, him, like the creature, was so dark, and they're underwater, and it's pitch black under there, and yet you still have this really great contrast, and he still stands out on this like solid black screen. The the scene where they're swimming together. It's it's very natural. Like you, they they flowed very well together. The Gilman and and um, K K. That's it. They they flow well together. Like the both their characters. Like you can see you can see how she how she has emotion towards him. Whereas like the men are very like fight or flight with him. Like they they view him as a threat and. And she's very much drawn to him as in, you know, scientifically, what is he? I, I'm sure that there were other aspects because he was showing interest in her. And I think that it was it was kind of mutual. And I, I liked the the development that they had between Dave and Mark and that that power struggle. Um, I think that without that power struggle, I think that it would have it would have lost a lot of its feel. Um I think that that power struggle was very important because it showed two dominant characters and it kind of showed two different viewpoints on how to deal with a situation like that. I loved the opening scene with all the explosions as they're showing how like the world was created. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I thought that was like really interesting. Um, overall, it was just very well put together. It was a, it, it's a wonderful film. It's very art, it, it's very artistically appealing, and they just did such an amazing job on it. I, I definitely am, am on the bandwagon and uh, gonna give it a five. Sweet. So Erica basically said everything I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, this ties for first for my favorite Universal horror movie. I feel like a lot of older movies, black and white movies, while I do appreciate them, some of them are difficult to watch. This movie, I could honestly go back and watch probably weekly and not get tired of it just because of how much detail there is and just how well done it is altogether for all of the points that Steven, you brought up, Erica, you brought up, and that we've brought up over this time. So I'm going to give it a five, and there's only one other movie that would get a five for me, but that's for another episode. No, I, I definitely agree with most of what you guys have to say. Um, I love this movie. I think it, it's very good, and, and it has the right mixture of scary and romance. And another big theme in it was the power struggle between David and Mark, and, and I think that that was really important, too. Um, it showed two different types 
of personalities and, and how, how they're not working together, not meshing. The Gill Man was an awesome concept. He was really cool looking. Not my favorite monster from the Universal Monsters, but I do love him. But the movie itself was one of the best. I really don't think I can add too much on to what you guys said. I'm going to give it a five. Ooh, perfect ratings across the board, ladies and gentlemen. Five That's stars for Haven Rating. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, tune in next week. We're going to be discussing the three creep show movies. Look us up on Instagram at Horror Haven Podcast, on Facebook, and we also have a website that you can find www.horrorhavenmedia.com. There's cool stuff on there. You can find yeah, our ratings be sure to all to our check previous out all movies. the features. Yeah. And we're constantly we've got uh, ratings on past films that we've done and talked about. Our schedule on there for the next couple of weeks. Uh, a lot of cool content. So, you know, just go on it, check it out, click on one of the tabs. And, leave uh, us a review. Leave us a review and more things will be added as time goes on. But you got to earn Oh, it. and also uh, be on the lookout for next week. Uh, a reoccurring character or actor that we all love. <laughs> Uh, he will be making another appearance. Crispin! So the return of Crispin next week. Creep Show 3. Stay tuned. <laughs> that, yes! We're not going to name the episode Creep Show. We're going to name it The Return of Crispin. Can we please do that? Because I fucking love, I love Crispin. I love, I love him and I hate him. <laughs> He's awesome. <laughs> <laughs>